Hi friends. On September 8 and 15, Spark gave two talks in our Deuteronomy series entitled The Green New Covenant. In part one, Pastor Omer shared about the covenant that God makes with God's people as including the land flowing with milk and honey. And it is a land that God looks over and tends to. Omer talked about the ultimate trajectory and vision of the scriptures to see all of creation reconciled back unto God where shalom is restored. And that is the story that followers of Jesus tell to the world and most importantly, live into the world. In part two, I tackled what I saw as the three most significant challenges that arise on this topic of climate change. And those are denialism, paralysis, and biblicism. Denialism is any form of ignoring, rejecting, uh, dismissing, discrediting the science. Paralysis is that feeling that the problem is so big, why do anything at all? Or maybe we just don't even know where to start. And Biblicism is a view of the Bible that sees those words on the page as exactly what we think those words mean. And then to use those words and those definitions to further advance what we already believe. I shared that the way of Jesus promotes the prophetic voice, a reconciled life, and an understanding of the grand narrative of God's move from the beginning to the end, and for us to enter into that story well, very much in conjunction with what Omer shared. Now, all of this, of course, stems out of our first understanding of humanity as image bearers of God, who transforms chaos into beautiful order. And the commission that God has given humanity to work, serve, tend to, and also guard and protect the creation. And we see the aim and the agenda of Jesus as continuing that vision of a fully reconciled creation. Over the next couple of weeks, I'd like to share with you some follow-up podcasts under the hashtag CreationCare that will build upon those teachings and touch on the more practical and everyday concerns that we have about our identity as followers of Jesus and the crisis of climate change. In part one, I'd like to share the top three things that you can do about climate change. In part two, I'd like to talk about the great hurdle that we all face when it comes to climate change, at least understanding it, and the strategic ways to overcome that hurdle. In part three, I'd like to talk about some of the Bible passages that are often used to argue against climate change, that either God is in control, so there's nothing we can do about it, or the idea that human caused climate change is nothing but a hoax. There's another position that Christians often take, which is that it's all going to burn anyway, so why bother? In part four, I'd like to talk about reconciliation and economics, how living a reconciled life exposes what we believe about our economic selves. In part five, I'd like to share some thoughts on faith and science, the relationship between the two, and why they're both critically important for this work. And in part six, I'd like to share some resources that you may be interested in pursuing further and give you a couple book reviews to listen to. With busy lives, I'm hoping to provide for you a, a really good and concise understanding of some books and authors, uh, main ideas that you can grasp to increase your knowledge. So that's a little bit of where we're headed. William Nordhaus is an economics professor at Yale University and has been writing extensively about climate change and global warming for over four decades. In his book, The Climate Casino, which is a winner of the Nobel Prize in Economics, he quotes Irving Fisher, who says, risk varies inversely with knowledge. In other words, there are risks to everything, but the more knowledge that we gain, the lower our risks. It is my hope that these podcasts add to your knowledge and understanding 
which should hopefully boost your confidence in how you approach this topic and ultimately inspire you to live the way of Jesus in and through humanity's greatest challenge, climate change. So that's where we're headed, and I hope you'll join me for this journey. If you have any questions, additional resources, or even corrections to what I share, please don't hesitate to let me know at kevin at spark.church, and I'll be happy to discuss them on the consecutive podcasts. I hope you'll join me. Let's start with part one, the top three things you can do about climate change. Coming in at number three of the top three things that you can do about climate change, make personal lifestyle changes. Specifically, use less. When we think about climate change, perhaps the most common thing we think about is the transportation sector of our society. That's cars, trucks, airplanes. And yes, it's absolutely appropriate to think that way because clearly they emit CO2, carbon dioxide, and The transportation sector makes up about 15% of the global man-made CO2 pollutions. The United States EPA puts that number at about 29%. Uh, All of these numbers that you get are different depending upon which uh, agencies you get them from in the studies, etc. But even if we take that higher number, over 60% of greenhouse gas emissions come from other sectors, such as agriculture, industry and manufacturing, and commercial and residential buildings. So... That means whenever you buy a product, you're buying a good that has been manufactured and delivered on that same energy system that emits greenhouse gas. When you buy food, you're also using energy, whether that's energy to pump water to grow that food or energy to transport it, energy to package it, and energy to house it in the store. If you're at work and you turn on the air conditioning, that's obviously using energy as well. So the main point is that we use energy for everything that we consume. And one effective way, number three of the three most important things you can do to reduce our carbon footprint is to simply consume less. Now, that can mean a couple things, a lot of different things, actually. That can mean driving less, but it can also mean thinking about your sourcing. For example, buying food from local markets is a way of consuming less transportation of that food. Changing out your light bulbs for LEDs absolutely consumes less energy. Turning off your lights when you're not in the room or turning off the water when you're brushing your teeth, getting a low-flow toilet or a low-flow shower head, buying less toys or buying less of all consumer products, travel less, eat less meat, all of these actions contribute to the lowering of your carbon footprint. Now, I think it's important to say here that I'm not sharing this so that you'll feel guilty whenever you eat a hamburger or take a trip or keep the lights on. I'm saying this because it's true. What we currently consume uses energy, and that adds to greenhouse gas emissions. And we should just simply be honest and cognizant of that fact whenever we consume anything. This is actually a little bit of what I meant when I was talking about living a reconciled life, reminding ourselves that everything that we do has a cost. And the goal is not to stop living or to feel guilty about everything that we do. The goal is to simply be mindful of using what we need and trimming out the excesses of our lives. 
It has been studied over and over again that Americans specifically overconsume. We throw away vast amounts of food, which also contributes to global warming. We waste water and we live quite lavishly, honestly. So while using less may mean a lifestyle change, it may not necessarily mean a lifestyle diminishment. It means being much more aware of the impacts of our lifestyle. And until and unless our energy system can be decarbonized, in other words, until we can transform our energy sector to clean, renewable sources, all of our activity is adding to global warming. Which brings me to number two, which is to vote. Now, let me recognize that one of the most frustrating challenges of talking about climate change is the politicization that is happening in our public discourse. In addition, as someone who is employed by a religious institution, I, by law and by personal conviction, try very hard to steer clear of any partisanship, any endorsement of political parties, people, or even policies. But I cannot remain apolitical because the way of Jesus must speak deeply to the real lives of real people, and that involves the political systems that we all live in. So I'm going to try hard to avoid the politicism, quote-unquote, of climate change, while still talking about the importance of the political action that you can take. With that in mind, I do feel, based upon some conversations that I've had, that I must also say that while I think I understand the social and psychological mechanisms of how something such as climate change becomes a partisan issue, I do not feel it is my responsibility to be overly sensitive when the facts of climate change are politicized. Thermometers are neither Democrat nor Republican. Molecules do not bend to the will of lobbyists. Storms and radiation do not care about their constituents. When we're talking about climate change and global warming, we're talking about physics, not politics. Stating that the globe is warming because of greenhouse gas emissions should be as apolitical as stating that gravity is 9.8 meters per second squared or that force equals mass times acceleration. I do grieve and feel badly for those who receive that statement as for something other than what it is, but I stand my ground by saying that stating that climate change is a fact is not a political statement. And even saying that there are ecological consequences to a warming planet is also not a political statement. It is a scientific projection of highly calculated models. Now, it is absolutely political to ask questions about what we're going to do about it and how we're going to economically and politically address it. So I'm not going to talk about any of those things in this podcast, though I will refer you to authors and economists that will propose a variety of ideas. But what I can say and what I will say is that your political engagement by your voting power is the second most important thing you can do to address climate change. What we're facing is far too big and requires a global response. And that means a political response. Which brings me to the number one thing that you can do about climate change, and that is talk about it. I first heard this from Catherine Hayhoe, the Texas Tech climate scientist that I referred to in my sermon last Sunday. Part of the reason why talking about it is so important is because while climate change is about carbon dioxide and methane and fossil fuels, it is actually first and foremost about us humans. It is about us. It is about 
what we think, how we live, the choices we make. It is about the ingenuity we tap into or ignore. It's about the technologies that we want to develop or the technologies that we despise. The great myth in a lot of this is that climate change is really about climate. And it's not really about climate. It's about people. It's about the future and the legacy that we want for our children. It's about how much suffering we want to endure, how much suffering we are willing to impose upon other people in this world. It's therefore how we think, our compassion, our empathy, how we understand. Then it's also about what news we consume, what information we trust, what kind of political will we will muster to overcome the greatest challenges of our day. Climate change is first and foremost a human problem. It's not a weather problem, a climate problem. And as a result, a human problem requires a human solution. So because humans are utterly, fundamentally social animals, the more we talk about it, the more we will hopefully understand, the greater the knowledge we will gain, the more it will remain in the consciousness of our community and the greater the chance that a larger percentage of the population will vote. And if that happens, and if our energy changes and our entire systems change and become decarbonized, then we'll have the policies in place to continue making the right lifestyle choices that sustain a healthy and regenerative life for generations to come. So, my friends, that's my proposal to you. Number three, make specific lifestyle changes. Specifically, consume less. Number two, vote and vote well. And number one, talk about it and keep talking about it. And that's part of the reason why I'm doing these podcasts. It is my way of obeying the advice that I've been given to continue to deploy the fullness of my humanity so that we all together can overcome this challenge effectively. In the next installment of this Creation Care series, I'm going to talk about the great hurdle that we all face when it comes to climate change, and that is our own psychologies.